My name is Steve Williams. And I'm Clara Williams. We would like to welcome you to our new podcast, Voices from the Choir, Oh Happy Day Reflections. This podcast is about my journey growing up in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area, along with my cousin Diane, my childhood friends Kathy, Donald, Arva, Gwen, and Arva and Gwen's cousin Ron, and our time as members of the Edwin Hawkins Singers. We'll each share stories which began with singing in the Northern California State Youth Choir of the Church of God in Christ. Our incredible journey starts when we recorded an album that included the song, Oh Happy Day, which changed our lives. We've never shared these stories until now. Over the years of our marriage, Claire has always wanted to tell the story of this life-changing event. I'll be your host through these nine episodes as we hear from these voices from the choir. We are excited to have Gwen Mitchell with us on this episode. Gwen is a younger sister of Arva Campbell. Gwen, along with Benita Casimir Vincent, were the youngest members of the Northern California State Youth Choir at 14 years old. They were 16 by the time the choir transitioned into the Edwin Hawkins Singers and went on their first national tour. In Gwen's own words, she was just a kid and was amazed by the opportunity to experience the choir's journey. The experience with the Edwin Hawkins Singers cultivated her musical education that has manifested itself in the next generation in her family. We know you will enjoy Steve's conversation with Gwen. It's such a pleasure to have you today, Gwen. And Gwen is the sister of Arva Campbell. And there were many uh, siblings in that group. And maybe we'll hear about some of that, too. So uh, it's great to have you, uh, Gwen. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Just to start off with, uh, why don't you give me your name and also uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and where you were, where you grew up in the Bay Area. How do you get connected to the choir? My name is Gwendolyn Mitchell. Everybody calls me Gwen. Originally Gwendolyn Lee, my maiden name. Grew up in the Bay Area in Berkeley, Berkeley High, uh, all, this, all the Berkeley schools. Actually, we lived in West Oakland until I was five. And when I was five, we moved to Berkeley. Always because we grew up in church, so we were always singing. I was really shy, so I followed everyone around. I never did sing. So until I was 14, they didn't even know I could sing <laughs> because I was just a little shy, shy one. But I would always be in the group, always hanging out with my sister. They were like, what do you call it? My idols, Clara, Lawrence, my sister. So we, I was always in the group, but I was always kind of like quiet. When I was 14, I would totally distinctively recall Lawrence calling us and I think it was on a Sunday night telling us, hey, we got to go audition for this choir, Northern California State Youth Choir. And of course, you know, I'm going along with the gang. And we, I think it was Lawrence, Clara, myself, Arva, it may have been Charlene, their sister. We all went to Ephesians and we all auditioned and we all got in. But like I said, I was always just a little quiet kid, and really nobody thought knew I could sing. That was um, just kind of not, they didn't know. But obviously I could because I passed the audition and I was a member of the choir, and I was 14 at the time. Now, were you singing prior to that then? Or did you have a group? Yeah, I would sing in um, Girls Glee. 
<laughs> at junior high school and at church. But I wasn't even at church. I wasn't in the choir. I was oh, just right. always, yeah, I would I would be there. I'd be at every concert, everywhere they went. I was always surrounded by music. I was always there. I guess I was just shy. So I would never, like, try to get in the choir, but I would just always be there. And so this was, I guess, even auditioning for the Edwin Hawkins Singers was a big step for me because I was just kind of, like, there. I, I I don't even know how to explain so, so it. So tell me about the audition. Hey, how did that go? What did you have to do for the audition? It was so simple. It was like, uh, what was it? Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, no. do. I'm like, really? And that's, you know, he just played that. And um, I don't know what he heard. Because like I said, I you know, I wasn't even aware of what my talent was, if I even had any talent. But whatever he heard, he was sufficiently pleased and allowed me to be in the choir. So. That's great. That's good. So once you found out that uh, you made it in, how did you feel about that? It was good. It was just, uh, it was exciting. Uh, I like to sing. The whole idea of all of us coming together and being able to meet once a week and just learn new stuff, learn new music, was just fascinating to me. I had my special songs that I really liked, and I just enjoyed doing it. So what was the age difference with, between you and Arva? Uh, three years. Three years, so you're fairly close, mm -hmm. right. So what was the activities like? Because you hadn't sung in any other choirs prior to that, so what was the routine? How often did you rehearse? And We rehearsed every Monday night. May have been around 7 to, I don't know, 9.30ish. I remember being sleepy every day the next, on Tuesdays, going to school. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because the, the rehearsals must have been pretty rigorous, huh? They were. They were. Mm -hmm. But totally enjoyable. Right. Because of Ed's style, which I think I really related to more so than the traditional. It wasn't a traditional gospel. And I never, even to this day, have never had a stereotypical, I don't think, traditional gospel sound. So I was real comfortable with how he was teaching us and how we were learning. And, and just the whole genre uh, was just totally my speed. So, so Quinn, tell me a little bit about that. When you say he was mm -hmm. different or the music was, it was what about it, it was, was, um, was different? I don't know if it was just what he was listening to and whatever he was listening to, I connected with. I, I, I always felt like he probably listened to some jazz. He probably listened to some Nat King Cole. There was things that he listened to that I related to. And don't ask me how, because in our home, we didn't have that kind of music. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, I connected with it. And I think he did, too, <laughs> even though he may not have grown up listening uh, to whatever whatever was um, motivating him or his style. I, I can't even explain it or put it in words, but it was just... It was jazz meeting gospel. I don't know, and I related to it. So during that time, the other artists and music that you were listening to, was it primarily gospel music? Were you listening to contemporary things also? I listened to primarily gospel, but in the girls' glee, we sang all kinds of music. And so that probably uh, influenced me as well. Um, I'm trying to think of things that we sang. That's interesting that you would say that because uh, later on in life, uh, your sister, you guys still continue to sing. Not complicated, but very um, contemporary kind of chord changes and jazz influence yes. in your own sort of yeah. singing. Yes. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah. And I, I try to figure out where it all came from because I know what I hear 
Um, and I think, like I said, I never had a conversation with Edwin Hawkins, but I really know now, as I look back, his influences. Um, I can hear the influences. Back to the, to the music style, because I, I like the way that you really explain it, because there was something about the arrangements did happen yes. that elicited a different kind of emotional content from the music. I always had this image or this sound that gospel was, you know, the people were bellowing it out and they had big, strong voices and they could yell or holler. And that was never me. And that's probably why I never would sing in the choirs because I would observe, but I didn't hear that. I found my my niche was somewhere else when I, I, I can't even explain it. My niche was, I didn't hear myself in the bellowing traditional gospel. I never. So that's, maybe that's why I never even got in the choirs when they had the choirs. It was just, I could never see myself or even mm-hmm. hear myself mm-hmm. singing like mm-hmm. that. But it was really comfortable when with Edwin Hawkins and with his style. The recording of the album. And how mm-hmm. was that? Was that something that uh, when it came up that there was going to be an album made and it was something that was going to be used to uh, further a trip to... Uh... Right. It was like a fundraiser for us. It wasn't... We had never thought of being famous or... Even the whole recording was was an avenue to, to uh, allow us to raise funds. And that was, that's how we took it. And that's what we thought about And those about funds it. were going um, to be used to a trip, huh? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so when did you realize that it was going to be a little bit more than that? It didn't dawn on us until, what, I was 14. I was like, ne- I don't know when it hit me, other than I just enjoyed singing and the experience. And it never really dawned on me until... I guess when the first actual big concert, I think at UC Berkeley at the Greek Theater, and even then, like I said, I'm 14. I'm I'm like, okay, this we got to hurry up and go get a sound check, and then we sit around and we wait and we sit around and we see all these people that I've never seen before, Cannibal Adderley, um, Nina Simone, and and I I remember them, but it's like okay, I'm gonna go find my little spot and sit down, you know, because I'm a kid. Well, you were just in eighth grade, right? Had the record really broke then, or had it started to get airplay at all? It was really starting to get air, a mm-hmm. lot of airplay, especially in Berkeley, because KPFA. There was someone at KPFA that just fell in love with it, and it just kept playing. They kept playing it over and over and over. And that's when it really took off. Someone, I don't know who to this day, there was someone at KPFA that really just absolutely loved yes. it, pushed it. Your peers in ninth grade, what, what happened? How did that reaction happen? I don't even think anyone, I didn't tell anyone that I was in the choir. I think the only, it was Bonita and I, and we were the same age. We would uh, go to rehearsals together because her brothers were older. They were in the choir. They would pick us up. Uh, pick me up because they just lived like a four or five blocks away. So Arvin and I would get picked up by either Ronald and Donald and Benita. And we'd go to rehearsals on Monday nights and that was that. And then we'd go to school on Tuesday and, you know, there was no conversation about, oh, we, we sang last night at, at choir. I mean, I, I don't know. We we're just kids. Their last name was? Casimir. Did they have their own group also? They did. Um, Ronald and Donald, and there was like all guys. They had a group called the Seven Disciples. They were all, it was seven, seven uh, guys. So they had their group as well. And I don't know if they were still singing when we were with the Edwin Hawkins singers, but they did. 
And don't ask me what they sang. I have no, I don't even remember. <laughs> but they all well, sang. So what happened when it became clear that the record was really building up a lot of momentum and it's going to require you guys to go on a tour? I think it really dawned on me when my mother had to write letters to the counselor or to the school and, and take me out of school for some trips. And then I'm like, oh, okay, which was fun. I'm like, okay. But that wasn't going to continue, obviously. I was in the 10th grade by then when it really took off. And I was in the 10th grade or had finished the 10th grade when we did our first big, big tour to New York and D.C. and Detroit and Chicago and Virginia. We just, we were on the East Coast. It was fun for about three weeks. I guess we stayed in New York most of the time. Oh, that was your home base. Your home base, that's that's correct. That's amazing that your mom, that your parents were just so supportive of you guys. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were very supportive. Their 14-year-old daughter is getting ready to go on the road to New York and all these big places and stuff like that. What was the conversation? We didn't have a lot of conversations. We just kind of, they trusted us. They knew Mm -hmm. what we were doing. I don't know. They let us do it. They, I guess they just totally trusted us. I'm sure because of, uh, it was such a, a caring group. It was the village. It was. All our parents were close. All our fathers and mothers were close. So it was, we were being watched over. Because even when we went to um, on tour, uh, we had the chaperones. Uh, Clara's father was a chaperone. Benita and, and uh, Ronald and Donald's father was a chaperone. Mr. Cash, Elder Cashmere. Like, my parents didn't go, but we had people there watching over us <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that knew us from before we were able to even walk. They knew uh, us. Did your sister try to micromanage you uh, on the tour at all? She, um... Not really, not really. She didn't try to micro. Who were some of the other siblings that were there uh, also? Uh, family members, okay. Uh, Marguerite and Mary, uh, Marguerite Branch and Mary Branch were siblings. Myself and Arva, the Cashmere's, and that was Benita, Ronald, and Donald. That may have been, if I remember, the family ones, ex- with the exception of Edwin and his brother Walter and his sisters. The Lyons family? Mm-hmm. Yes, the Lyons family. Yeah, there were a lot of little, mm-hmm. there were a lot of families. Going from uh, the church performances and touring around locally in the Bay Area um, to being on the road, flying to the East Coast, mm-hmm. what, what was that like on mm-hmm. a daily basis, the routine? When we flew to New York, that was the first time I had ever been on an airplane. <laughs> and yeah. That was my first flight. And actually, we flew to L.A. first, and then then we flew to New York. I don't know if they paired us off. I don't know if they gave you seating, but I was paired off with Ed's father. That's who I was had to sit with flying to New York. And I just remember sitting with him flying to New York. Um, <laughs> and he was real quiet, and, uh, an older mm-hmm. gentleman, obviously. And uh, I don't know, like I said, I don't know if... If seats were, you know, how they give you seats, I have no idea. But that's who I flew to New York sitting next to, um, Ed's wow, father. And that was a fairly large group of that were on that flight. Huh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There was a lot of people, a lot of people. So what was the daily thing? Once you got there, uh, how often did you rehearse? Uh, what did you do on, on a daily basis? What was the routine? You know, that's, uh, I want to say we had our various um 
or you want to call it gigs or whatever that we had to do. But did we rehearse? I don't, I'm trying to remember. I don't, did the sections actually work know. individually before everybody came together or how did that, mm -hmm. everybody no. rehearsed all at the same time? Mm -hmm. All at the same time. It was real laid back. We were not traditional in the sense that it wasn't a three-part harmony. We probably had five or six-part harmonies. That's another thing that altered the whole gospel sound. We had first and second sopranos. I was the second soprano. I was always up front and next to Tremaine, Tremaine uh, Hawkins. I don't know why that happened, but I was always, they always positioned me mm -hmm. right next to her. The blend that was in the group, they, they weren't in sections. They had the different voices mixed throughout. It wasn't mixed. It was like the first sopranos, second sopranos. I don't know if there was first and second altos, but I do know there were first and second sopranos. Mm -hmm. And then tenors and the basses. That's pretty cool. So when you started, you flew back to New York. Do you remember what your first concerts were, or the first gigs that you did? Do you remember that? I remember distinctively Yankee Stadium uh, with the Isleys. Uh, I remember Mom's Mabley was there. <laughs> I remember, I don't, it was just a eclectic kind of a group a grouping. I remember seeing um, there were actors there. There were different people other than just us singing. I'm, I'm not sure of the occasion, but we were definitely at Yankee Stadium. Definitely remember that. I remember, I think we did Madison Square Garden. And then through that same trip, that's when you did the, the, the Harlem. Harlem concert. The Harlem. Yes. Yes. That's when we did the Harlem concert. Mm -hmm. um, that outdoor park, and that's all I remember was the outdoor park in Harlem. And we had our bus, and I think I spent most of the time in the bus because it was hot, <laughs> yes. waiting to, yes. for our turn to happen for us to sing. And, and so what was that like? Because uh, you did see Summer of Soul, huh? Mm -hmm. I did. I loved it. Did it stir up any, you know, things or memories that you really were kind of lost? It made me wish I would have been more adventurous, but like I said, I was kind of shy, and I spent most of my time on the bus, <laughs> waiting for my time to go on stage, to be honest. Yes, but I understand it, and that's what I think is unique uh, about this, and everybody's story is so different. Mm -hmm. And from a standpoint, being 14, would, of course, okay, what do you, you know— that shyness is, is a natural sort of thing, but mm -hmm. there were also older members mm -hmm. in the choir because the age range was pretty diverse, It right? was. It really was. So mm -hmm. we we considered everybody over 20 old. <laughs> <laughs> so they were old to us. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that, that's really funny. Uh, there was obviously different interests because of that mm -hmm. also. Mm -hmm. It really was. We were more adventurous. We had two... I think we had two or three buses, so we considered... Those of us that were younger, we were on the fun bus. Everywhere we went, we'd meet somebody and go do something. And the other bus, I don't know what they did, but we had fun. Figured out who to hang out with. Exactly. Was there anything about one particular concert or one of incidences that uh, really stuck in your mind at all? Not in New York, but in D.C. I remember us singing with Jose Feliciano. He was in our same hotel in D.C. I think it was the Sheraton. Um, it was a really old, quaint it was really, uh, now that I think about it, um, it was kind of sitting off, uh, and it was very pretty where it was. It was kind of woodsy, uh, and it was just this big old, old hotel, but I believe it was the Sheraton. And, and what kind of interaction did you have? Um, we were hanging around, and we found some room that had a piano in it, and we, of course, we always had to go 
dabble and sing. And so I think we were just in this room and it was maybe, I don't know how many of us it was. It was the younger group that always was doing something. And so we were hanging out singing and he came in there and he starts singing with us and then he started playing the piano and we just had a ball. Uh, ended up where the uh, the people in the hotel wanted to charge us for using the room. <laughs> we're like, what? And he, and Jose took care of it. Jose Feliciano said, ah, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. He took yeah. care of it. So I, I guess technically we weren't supposed to be performing in a room without paying something. I don't know. We just, if we saw a piano. But it was, there was no audience yeah, there. Yeah, there was, was just no just, audience. Yeah. And we were just, uh -huh. hey, there's a piano in here. Let's go, let's go have some fun. Let's go sing. Let's go do what we do. And that's yes. what we were doing. Yes. Yeah, they wanted to try to um, charge us. The concerts, mm -hmm. so many different places that you went into. Um, did you really get butterflies going into those concerts at all and those places that you sung? That's an interesting question. Um, no, I didn't necessarily get butterflies. I just, I can't explain it. I just enjoyed what I was doing. I was confident. I knew my part, and I enjoyed it. I loved it, every moment of it. So other than I probably looked like I was a little kid, but I was I was present, you know, even in my youth, I was present with everyone else. And, and that's interesting because there seemed to be overall uh, a, a calmness, a sort of a centeredness mm -hmm. about the group, mm -hmm. especially from a performing standpoint. Because going from, like I said, the church appearances to public appearances, right. where the audience was mixed. It right? was. Mm -hmm. We were centered. I can't even explain it. We just didn't, it didn't seem to excite us. It, we were just doing what we were gifted to do and enjoyed it. Didn't lose a step. I don't, I don't know why. I can only speak for myself, but that's how it seems all of us kind of a, a felt and approached it. When you come out of the church and especially, uh, you know, the Pentecostal mm -hmm, church, mm -hmm. you know, where uh, worshiping is a very active Mm -hmm. experience, mm -hmm. right? And, and receiving the Holy Spirit and, and getting washed and all those sort of things. Were you surprised at the non-Christian audiences, how they reacted to the music? Yeah, I was. I was surprised and sometimes even tickled because they just, I can't explain it. You know, they just, they really loved it. It was, they were there. They were, they were caught up in it and they, involved themselves they appreciated it and they it was good it was it was it was reaffirming to us that what we were doing and how we were brought up meant a lot and carried over uh, and affected in a good way many people and many lives so how often did you uh, have to check back with home and you know update and let how things were going and stuff that's a good question not much you know, I don't even recall calling home. I sent a postcard, I think. Um, but I don't I don't recall like calling home. I really don't. Wow, that's amazing that you were really engaged. Then. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's so funny. So then um did you go on a second tour also or was that Yeah, I went on a few tours. Um, in the uh, California area, L.A., uh, we did the um, American Bandstand. I went with them when we uh, 
with Diana Ross and they introduced Diana Ross. Well, not introduced Diana Ross, introduced the uh, Jackson 5. I was on that tour, met them, met uh, Michael Jackson, and we were both shy. He was, I think I was five years older than him, and we were doing a sound check at the Forum in Los Angeles, and we were bored, both of us, and we were at the uh, vending machine getting candy and stuff while we were waiting for our sound check. But of course, he was shy and I was shy too, so we just went to the machine. We didn't talk to each other. And I think about that. I'm like, why didn't you just say something? I'm, I don't know. I was shy and he was shy. But we went and got our candy. But they were fairly new group. Yeah, they getting were being introduced. introduced. Yeah. They were being introduced mm-hmm. as the Jackson 5. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Now, there's one concert in here, and I, and I found a poster from the concert. Oh, okay. Okay. And it, it was a concert that took place. It was called Newport 69. Ah. And, and it was at this old racetrack called Devonshire Downs in the San Fernando Valley. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure if you flew down to L.A., you guys... I remember that. This was one of the ones. I remember yes, that. Yes, okay. Well, the thing that was really interesting about it, because the tickets were $6. Wow, okay? that's all. <laughs> <laughs> the tickets were $6. It was a three-day concert. But here's the thing. Friday, June 20th, Jimi Hendrix wow. was on that ticket. Spirit... Joe Cocker, oh. Taj Mahal, oh, okay, Albert King, wow, the Edwin Hawkins singers, wow. Ike and Tina Turner. <laughs> now I don't remember seeing them at all. Wow. wow. <laughs> I mean that's pretty historic in terms of yeah. uh, the groups. Kind of sticks out, right? Yeah, yeah. Those are the kind of places and kind of people that you were uh, performing with. <laughs> It's, it's kind of amazing when you think about it now, in retrospect. I'm trying to find a memorabilia that still exists. Mm-hmm. I found that after a little bit of, well, there's not much wow. that's really out there, but there are a couple of, uh, you know, posters mm-hmm. from some mm-hmm. of the concerts, and they're not cheap anymore. No, you know, I'm they're sure. They're kind of collector's items and, and those things, right? Wow. You did a couple of tours. So when you came back, you went back to school and then you left again, or was it just for the summers? I did the summer, came back, and I remember a couple of times uh, my mother allowing me to get out of school. And then that, that got shut down after they wrote notes for a few of the tours when we were back here in, in California. And then after that, I was like, okay, um, I'm going to school. Did you go to Europe at all? Mm-hmm. I didn't, not with the choir. Mm-hmm. By then it was, by then it had switched from the Northern California State Youth Choir. Uh, all the, um, what do you call it, the politics and everything came into play. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm in school and I'm, you know, I'm a kid. I got to go graduate from high school. So it didn't really ruffle my feathers that much. Um, I miss singing with the choir, but obviously I couldn't yeah. travel to Europe and do all that stuff. I was still in high school. And was that really just because of moving from, I wouldn't call it amateur, but I would say that the intent for some people became more of a professional. Yeah, and it changed the dynamics. It really did, Um, because we started off as, you know, like I said, the Northern California State Youth Choir. All of us were from various Bay Area churches coming together and just singing together. And then the dynamics changed when, obviously, when, when it 
became big and we became famous. And then, of course, the record companies and whoever else gets in there. And it caused the kind of a division. Um, it didn't affect me, like I said, because I was in high school, but I'm sure others were probably more affected that are able to travel. So I don't know. After that, I kind of like checked out from the whole thing and went on with my life in terms of finishing high school, et cetera. Because at that time, then, uh, there must have been a lot more people around, hanging around. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The original core group was about 40 of us originally, but by the time I left and by the time it blew up, it was like 60s. It was just outlandish. People that you never even, like, who's someone's wife, someone's husband, someone that couldn't even sing? It was, just, it was like, why are they in here? They can't even sing. You know, it, so it started to get like that. <laughs> Anyway. And, and it, it gets kind of unwieldy. It's very expensive to take that many people. Exactly. And not to be on the road. Exactly. That's hard. And then they were getting pressure from the record companies. Obviously, they were going to pay to take that many people. So they were getting pressure to downsize it. So once that transition did happen for you and you went on, what, what did you take away with you? What was your, your feeling about that experience going forward? I just remember, like, those people in high school that knew uh, that I sang with Edwin Hawkins, periodically I'd be called, oh, happy day. Oh, here's oh, happy day. You know, so it, was, it wasn't in the negative. They were, it was a respectful, no, like, oh, oh, happy day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so I remember singing in concert chorale at Berkeley High as well. The thing about it is you had to read music. None of us ever read music. I couldn't read music. But if I heard my part, I had it. So I would just sit next to whoever I had to, whatever section I was in, hear the song, Okay, I have my part. And I was good. One of our choral directors, he was from, I think, I can't, I don't want to say Iowa or somewhere, but he made a statement, and this was back in the 60s, he made a statement that Black people have an ethnic sound. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? So I remember after that semester, I quit Concert Chorale, and I remember being on, uh, if you've ever been to Berkeley High, it's very big. I was on campus, and I remember him, looking me up, looking, trying to find me. He found me and he begged me to get back in the choir. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> never will I ever be in your choir again. That was kind of the person I was. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't disrespectful. It's just like, I got your ethnic sound. <laughs> so that's how I felt, you know, I, I was insulted. It was very clear. I don't know yes, what it meant, exactly. but I was insulted. So I, yes. you know, I, I don't know what he meant by it or what he, he might not even meant any harm, but I, it was like, mm, that doesn't sit right with me. And that's kind of interesting because of uh, the fact that you were that aware. Yeah. I, I, you know, because. It's interesting because like I said, no one sat and, you know, this is this, this, but that didn't sit with me. And after that semester, mm -hmm. it was like, oh, you can have your choir. And it's probably only like at the most five or six or maybe 10 of us that were black. Not that, And I wasn't into all the, you know, you got to be black, you got to be this. I never was into any of that. Just love to sing. How did you feed your musical passion? After that? that point on? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, what did I do? Just singing at church, dabbled a little. We always had a piano in the house, so I always would... I dabbled a little on piano and I would write songs. Uh, so I wrote my own little songs. Um, but it was still not as as, as uh, intense as it was when we were doing um, the choir scene. But I always kept my chops, for, you know, for whatever reason I've always did. Eventually you got into another group, right? Mm-hmm. 
New Generation Singers. I was in my senior year at Berkeley High, so I was going to graduate that same year that we started singing in the New Generation Singers. Uh, basically, our same pack. It was myself, Arva, my sister, Clara, Lawrence, Diane, Betty. Betty wasn't in the Edwin Hawkins, but Diane was. They were sisters. Your brother played bass, <laughs> Mark Williams. Bill Summers, he was percussion. Yes, Bill, that's exactly right. Uh, Butch Haynes. Um, it was quite a few. Who were some of the other influences of the music that came apart? Was that really just Ed? Did there, were there other people that contributed to the Initially, sound? Initially, it was Ed mostly. Um, I think Walter may have contributed on some level, but mostly Ed. Later on, as we did a few albums, I think it was um, Francis, and her name was Williams at the time, Francis Williams. She wrote a song, something about peace, and Ed allowed that to be a part of one of our albums. What about the Watsons? The Watsons. They were in the part of the very, very beginning when it was Northern California State Youth Choir. And initially, Betty Watson was the director, and she had asked Ed to help her to assist with the choir. And that's how they were a team initially. And then, of course, when everything kind of blew up, it, things happened politically and, you know, things changed. But ultimately, his influence was the bigger influence because he really was the, his fingerprint was, was what um, yes. made it what it was. And that's one of the things in, in terms of learning about there were so many amazing gospel artists and local groups mm-hmm. around the area. And uh, we were talking uh, about Prayer Garden and some of the <laughs> midnight musicals that were. Did I you went to go the to some of those? Musicals at Eighth and Grove, which doesn't exist anymore because after the earthquake, they tore it down. But that church used to rock. It was Eighth and Grove in Oakland. Um, and that's where the Lions went. Initially, that's where the Hawkins came out of until he went to Ephesians to work with their choir. But a lot of singers, musicians, we would go to Eighth and Grove, and it was like, you know, it was on. It was on. So I do remember that's where I went. I didn't necessarily go to San Jose um, much, a few times, but mostly Eighth and Grove. Yes, yes. Who were some of the Ed's contemporaries at that time, emerging gospel Artists. Singers or performers. I know the Lions were his contemporary. Um, but I know Andre was. Oh, Andre was Crouch. Emerging in Andre it. Crouch, mm-hmm. definitely. Who else? Yeah, definitely Andre Crouch. And he would come up or they would go down. Mm-hmm. Or I just remember uh, it was a really big thing when Billy Preston broke Billy out. Billy Preston. And he came out of straight out of the church um, as well. And then started playing with the Beatles. Exactly. And... Straight out of the church in, in uh, South Central L.A., going to one of the churches, you know. What about uh, the Pointer Sisters, too? Yes, right. Mm-hmm. And they were over in, they were in the Bay Area, the Pointer Sisters. Yeah, they eventually ended up uh, signing with CBS Records. Okay. They came out of, they were mentored by Betty Watson. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, the Bay that. Area was just an amazing place. It really was. Uh, mm-hmm. our, every Sunday after church, my mother, our, my mother mainly, uh, would take us to um, the Oakland Auditorium, sometimes in the city, but there was always, not competitions, but like 
like you see on these shows where the people are all singing. It was like the competition of choirs. I, I don't even know how to explain it, but we went every Sunday. We were either in the city, we're at the Oakland Auditorium, and the choirs would compete. Um, mm. It was amazing. There was a, a lot of music in the Bay Area. So, Gwen, and, and we're going to wrap it up. But okay. And looking at it in retrospect, what would you say that has made the music from the album, and, and I want you to, to name maybe a favorite song, too, of you, but, but what makes it resonate even more today than it did then? It hasn't gone away. It's only gotten, I think, yeah. more significant. What makes it so unique is that it's classic. It's like a period where... The music penetrated, became part of who you were. I, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm even articulating. Even to this day, if I pull out that album, one of my favorites is I Heard the Voice and Let Us Go Into the House of the Lord. And um, I was glad. And it's the slower ones were my... Oh, Happy Day was never my favorite. In fact, mm -hmm. I used to say, why do we have to keep singing this song? But it was because that was the song that blew up. Um, obviously. It was all the ones that were just kind of just penetrating were my favorites. And even to this day are my favorites. Joy, Joy. Yeah, Joy, Joy. But th Absolutely. Those, yeah. those songs were my favorites. The whole album. I, I love that. I, now, when you pull that out, do you pull it out on vinyl and play it? I have vinyl. I have vinyl. Actually, my granddaughter has it in vinyl because she she's the, the musician in the house now and she went back and found all kinds of uh, vinyl albums and even that old because I don't even know where mine is. And then I think Arvis still has hers, but it's warped, our original <laughs> album. Yeah, we've got a couple of them. In, <laughs> and, but I think that's great. I, to, to play that on a turntable. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, it's just absolutely amazing. It's, it's the know, best. It goes back in on me. Claire had a question about your granddaughter. Uh, is she majoring in music at all? Yes, she oh, is. Oh, she is. She is. She so was at Columbia. Where did she go to school? until all this uh, stuff went down at Columbia and in Chicago. Um, she was at, in Chicago, uh, up until this pandemic hit, and then we brought her home last March. She hasn't gone what back. What is she studied? She plays piano. Oh. Uh, she played mm -hmm. at Yoshi. She played in the um, Berkeley Jazz Band, the jazz school in Berkeley. She was a part of that. Gwen, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that legacy continues, yeah, then, huh? Yeah, yeah. You got to be proud of her. Though. Yeah, I am. I am. So. I really enjoyed this conversation. I did too. Thank you. This episode was produced and edited by Stephen Clara Williams for Kite Flyer Productions. Listen and follow for free wherever you listen to podcasts.